You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 391. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of the classic military science fiction series, Stargate SG-1. And obviously, we are two happy campers with the way uh, the Ravens game turned out this week. Yes, and, sir. Yes, sir. And they're yes, going to be going up against your Buffalo Bills. And I say your Bills. Uh, I, know I know you're a Ravens fan, but... You know, I mean, you went to school up in that area, so. Yeah, I worked for the Bills, too. I worked security at Rich Stadium and oh, everything, okay. so, you know, um, yeah, I still, there's a very, very fine place in my heart for the Bills. I guess they could, you could say they're my my number two team, yeah. I guess. So if, I mean, obviously, I, I want the Ravens to win. Will I be upset if the Ravens lose? Yes, of course, I'll be upset. But that will be tempered a little bit by the realization that the uh the Bills are in the AFC Championship again right. uh, for the first time in a long time. Right, so. and their quarterback is from the same draft class as Lamar. He, while he's certainly not in Lamar's class as a runner, he's pretty mobile, you know, in his own right. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's a pretty freaking good quarterback. Yes. Of course, he does have, and, and like people say, like, well, you know, Josh Allen, Josh Allen, like, well, you know, Josh Allen wasn't really lighting up anyone's scoreboard. Until this year, uh, you know, when uh, they got uh, Stefan Diggs, you know, and it's like now, and if they give Lamar Jackson a guy on, because I mean, like, the Ravens receivers are okay, but we don't have any of the elite guys, you know. Right. Uh, you give Lamar Jackson to Stefan Diggs, a guy who's going to, you throw the ball anywhere near him, he's going to catch it. Yep. Now let's see what happens to Lamar Jackson's passing stats, you know? Yep. So, all right, enough about football. Um, now, I know we said... Oh, wait, we're not talking about football? I thought that's all we were talking yeah. about. <laughs> we should get a football podcast as well. Yeah, no. That would be cool. It would be cool. I would definitely do that. Um, now, we know we said we weren't going to talk politics anymore. We did our, our one time. Well, then things happen. And things do happen, and we're not soliciting any political responses you know so we don't want anything in feedback because we're just not going to put it on the podcast don't post in the facebook group about that stuff but that said this is really more of a civics lesson than a political comment and and, and particularly for our listeners outside the u.s but dude um I, i wish i didn't have to give this lesson to u.s citizens as well i mean look it's not surprising that President Donald Trump and the members of his family don't understand how the First Amendment to the Constitution actually works. I mean, clearly he didn't understand how the counting of votes worked, but that's, that's another thing. Because we're constantly hearing now about big tech companies squashing people's freedom of speech and stomping on their First Amendment rights. And, and you know, the latest is uh, the Twitter bans, the Facebook bans, the parlor bans. Uh, the First Amendment in the United States protects your speech against the government. End of story. Okay. Most of us cannot go into our place of business and say whatever we want without fearing yeah. repercussions from our boss. Am, I, I, I right? tried it one time and it, it turned out really badly for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so there, it ends there. It protects your speech against the government. We host our podcast on Podbean. We pay Podbean. 
if we were saying things that went against Podbean's terms of service, they would be within their rights to terminate our contract. End of story. I don't understand why that's so difficult to understand. So I can only look at members of our U.S. Senate and Congress who either A, don't understand the First Amendment to the Constitution, or they're just outright lying. There's no in-between. So I'm just going to leave that there in in terms of, I mean, I would suspect you who also teach journalism, I did before. I mean, that's like day one in journalism one, talking about the First Amendment, drilling it into them. So I guess these people just weren't paying attention in high school or they hear it enough from people that they've come to believe. But, uh, you know, that's not the First Amendment. The other Go ahead. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that, you know, the people who went into the Capitol building uh, took pictures of themselves uh, in the Capitol building, in Nancy Pelosi's office, in the president of the Senate's chair. You would not describe these people as uh, deep thinkers. No. Right? And that's his base. I mean, not, I'm not saying if you are in support of Donald Trump, you're dumb. You're not necessarily thinking things through the best, but, you know, it's possible that there's people who genuinely believe in some of his policies, right? But a lot of what he gets away with, a lot of this stuff, I mean, you're a conservative and you, you look at him and you with a critical eye and say, it's this guy is a joke. He's ridiculous, right? Yes, absolutely. But there's just people who take what he says at face value and and they just run with it. And it, it, makes, it made me sick. It, was, it made me sick to my stomach watching those people and you know just the the fact that they thought that they could do that and of course there's you know a valid comparison with the black lives matter protests where people were peacefully protesting they weren't trying to get into the capital and yet were being picked up thrown the van zip tied tear gas they they were tear gas so Donald Trump could cross the street to take a picture holding up a Bible. Are you effing kidding me? And then these people were given carte blanche, allowed to walk right into the Capitol building. That is just, I'm sorry. I, I know that's not where you were going with this, but I'm sorry that uh, I just say I'm just disgusted, still hurt and appalled. And I, you know, I hope, especially listeners, I know we've heard Fred talk about this. And I know this makes the United States look like the biggest bunch of idiots and yokels on the face of the earth. And I can only, just want to tell all of those uh, out there are, are non-U.S. And I'm not just speaking to our non-U.S. listeners, but if you are not in the U.S., this is not the United States. This is not the people of the United States. This is a very, very, very small minority that, because of a number of things, are have been allowed to run rampant over the last four years. These are people who normally we are clamped down on, normally are frowned upon, but Donald Trump has allowed these people a, a voice for the last four years, right from word one, right from Charlottesville. He supported racists. He supported the white supremacists. He couldn't even denounce them uh, uh, during a debate. Um, He said he loves them on last Wednesday. So it's just a case, an ugly stain on the history of this country that hopefully will be behind us in a couple days. Right. And, you know, I I think what we're finding out, uh, particularly today, is that – 
you know, businesses are not going to stand for it anymore. And, and that's a different issue. I'll just, you know, leave it at that. Because the, the other point I wanted to bring up is that Donald Trump has been on this campaign to rewrite Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which, which essentially just means that social media sites like Twitter and Facebook would be responsible for the content on their site. And I'm thinking right away, well, dude, do you not understand that that would mean they could kick you off right away because they're not going to put themselves in a position where they could be sued for libelous content on their site? So anybody out there, if I'm misunderstanding (laughs) this Section 230, I'm pretty confident in what I have to say about the First Amendment. But if I'm misunderstanding something about Section 230, please uh, school me on that one because I... I, Or Order 66, too. What's that? Or Order 66 as well. Okay. I'm not sure what that is. That's when the the clones were ordered to execute all the Jedi. Oh, (laughs) okay. Uh, Nice. Anyway, um, so we'll just leave it at that. And, And then if you have not seen Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, it's about a 10-minute message. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. I'm not going to post a link. Please don't post a link to it in the Facebook group. Just go to YouTube. I'm sure it's there. It's just, it, it, I mean, it's wonderful. And, and, and for those of you in the U.S., Schwarzenegger is a Republican. He was the Republican governor of a Democratic state, California. And yep. uh, I mean, liberal, liberally uh, Republican, but still yes. a Republican nonetheless. Yes. All right. Um, why don't we for you want to forego what we're watching this time? Yeah, because I just was writing things down as you were talking. Okay, so cool. Right, nothing so we'll, that's really burning in me. Yeah, so we'll, we'll forego that this time. We can move on. Yeah, we, so, got, we got a football game to watch. Yeah, tonight, exactly. So. All right, so uh, let's get to episode thirteen of season one, Stargate SG One Hathor, story by David Karen and J. Larry Carroll teleplay by jonathan glasner dude that's something i'm gonna have to look into that okay so the teleplay i'm assuming is when they put it in you know a format so that the director can film the episode and i'm thinking like well david karen and jay larry carroll couldn't be bothered to do that or did they just not have the skill i i never could figure that out but yeah i i have no idea yeah uh, directed um, by I Brad- guess maybe they wrote it. I don't know why they would have written it as a play and then adapted it for television. Yeah, I, I don't know. But maybe uh, it was the, uh, you know, from the Broadway version. Of, <laughs> yeah. I know. I know I'm sounding stupid. Uh, well, yeah, I've, always, I've, I've often wondered that as well. Because a lot of times, you, I mean, I understand what it means story by yeah. and then written by. Like someone came up with the idea of the story and someone else actually wrote the script. But what's the difference between written by and teleplay by, yeah, right? I don't know. Directed by Brad Turner, aired October 24th, 1997. So I, I, right away, I really like this episode. Fred and his feedback uh, concurs. And, and he's, you know, he's mentioned before about how he's trying to adapt uh, the, uh, I guess, European grading model to what, you know, the way we grade in the U.S. But, but he gave it an A minus, and I would certainly concur with that as well. But, dude, you got to like an episode where you've got an attractive female character who says that 
Um, she needs the code of life and juices of the species. <laughs> <laughs> yep. She just needs a little DNA donation. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, oh, okay. Nah, it was on Showtime at, at, in season one. Yeah. I get it. Um, yeah, you know, we've talked about the theme of gender inequality in the military, and, and, and we really get that explored and dealt with quite a bit in this episode. And, and I think they really did it in a, in a wonderful way. We've, we've mentioned many times about being hit over the head with certain ideas. Uh, I don't think they do it here. I, I just think they do it with humor and, you know, that they uh, really show respect to the female characters and, you know, even the male characters <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah. So, sorry. I just blanked out. I, I found out what a teleplay is, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is a teleplay? Like certain elements are left out a uh like the outline of the story document so and those people would then someone else would write that and get paid for that okay so it's just kind of like you're getting paid for just i guess just the script and there's other elements that would go into the screenplay that uh that other people get paid for okay all right sounds good still i guess i wonder why uh one person couldn't do it all but eh, whatever um You know, okay, so we've got this character of Hathor, and one of the thoughts that I just can't let go of, Fred gets into his nitpicks uh, in his feedback, given everything they've seen, why on earth would they not treat her as an alien threat right away, even before she gets a chance to mist everybody? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Yeah, why do they... Right. Why? Why is Hammond in the same room that she is? You know, when he shouldn't be, when she should be locked up someplace, right? Yeah. At that point, even if we say, "Well, she got into Daniel early," but still, it's just Daniel, right? I mean, you didn't have any say in whether she gets locked up or something. So, uh, you know, yeah, like for sure, like you would think that that they would have treated her as a hostile alien presence. Uh, right away, especially Hammond, who's you know usually certainly has up to this point kind of erred on the side of caution uh, many times. Uh, yeah, and the other thing, you know, we get that scene at the beginning uh, where they've got the sarcophagus, you know, in, in the gate room, you know, because they had it sent from Mexico, but it's not until later that oh, I've seen that before. That is what brought. You know, Daniel and Sheree back to life. So, okay, well, didn't you maybe think? Yeah, shouldn't this be secured? Yeah. So um, <laughs> we get Dr. Frazier in a military op instead of an exam room, which was cool. Yeah. And uh, I've got a couple things to say about that. Def- definitely positive. Uh, and then the guest star, Sue Ann Braun, who plays Hathor, and, and you know, Fred points it out in some more detail in his feedback. She's got this YouTube interview series called Hathor Hosts TV, where she's interviewing different actors, some from Stargate, got Amanda Tapping. Maybe, I think she's got Amanda Tapping once, and then at the end, Amanda Tapping interviews her. So that's cool. Uh, Fred will talk a little bit about that in his feedback. But, uh, you know, she was a great I'm not even sure if is she a villain. I mean, I guess I think what's not clear 
is whether she is for the human race or against it, because we kind of hear both sides of it. Right. And all we really see is her attempt to to kind of restart the Goa Uld, which is, you know, from our perspective, certainly not a great thing. Well, right. She's looking to populate her gold in humans. You know, I mean, we look, we we obviously have a lot of a a big problem with that. Um, But again, that doesn't necessarily mean she's looking to destroy the humans or enslave them. I, you know, we don't, we don't really, well, though, I guess she wants to make Jack her Jaffa. So, I mean, it doesn't look great for her. It, 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 if we, if we had to, to you know, pick a side, we would say she is definitely a villain, and she definitely is has you know her plans run counter to the uh, you know the, the 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 health of the human race. Well, and, and I guess what throws us for a loop at the beginning is when she finds out that Ra has been killed, and we half expect her to go off, but. She's seemingly pleased with that. So, all right, well, now we're confused because she doesn't seem to be in league with Ra or Apophis, but it it does then seem as if she's setting out to start her own Gaul army. And that, uh, as Teal'c said, I can't remember whether it was this episode or last episode, uh, I've never met a good Gaul. Yeah, that was that was this one. Okay. Yeah. Well, if I if I learn nothing else from American gods, it's that uh, gods and goddesses just do not get along at all. And uh, so, yeah. Now, I, obviously, I really, this is the case again here. Yeah. Now, I really like the opening scene. We're in the Temple of the Inscriptions in Mexico. You know, we see the archaeologists open a chamber and a pyramid, and that's when they find the sarcophagus. And, and you know, that whole idea that, you know, it's Egyptian in a Mayan temple, and apparently that never happens. But, uh, you know, I read an article once by, you know, yeah, yeah. dude, I have a pretty good memory. I know you do, but I'm not sure I'd remember the author of a journal article that I read how many yeah. years back. But I, whatever. Um but, you know, hey, whatever, let's open it. And, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I watch a lot of these actual archaeology shows on History Channel and Discovery Channel. And I'm pretty sure when they find something like that, they don't just open it yeah. while they're down in the hole. <laughs> but how many of these things have a big red button in the middle of them? And just like Doctor Who, you see a big red button, you got to press it, right? Well... I know you haven't seen this episode of the X-Files, but as, as Fox Mulder had to tell the one guy when he was down in the Andes, no ho on the Roho. <laughs> I don't know if that actually is, you know, but I, I got the message. Don't push that, the red that, button. That's not actually Spanish. <laughs> I didn't think it was, sure. <laughs> but uh, he, he got his message across and the guy didn't push the, uh, the red button, but you know, I think they do a good job of, of Jackson kind of explaining what it is he thinks they've got here. And then I even screen capped it. I don't know what for, but later in the episode when Sam is doing research, did you notice she's using Netscape? 
I did not notice no. that. So I did a screen cap. Good old Netscape. Wow. Yeah, a little nostalgia there. I mean, yeah. you know, we've mentioned before how, how, you know, dated the computers and cell phones are. And okay. But uh, Netscape, old friend, was, it was good seeing you again. We hardly knew ye. Then we get the message that, you know, uh, General, there's a woman here that needs to see you. And he's like, dude, no. Why should I see her? Well, she knows the Stargate's here. All right, send her in. <laughs> yeah, that's a red flag. Yeah, really. <laughs> we are Hathor. Kneel before your goddess. And of course, Jackson recognizes her as you know as the goddess. And Jack's like, oh, okay. So sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, pretty much, Jack. <laughs> there, there was, dude. There were some great lines in this episode. That was a good one, though. That, that was, was a good. A good but, one. but I think my favorite is at the end. You know where, where Hathor has made jack ready to receive his implant which again is gross every time we see it and then uh, yeah it was it sam or or dr frazier that's i think it's dr frazier sticks her hand down in there to see if there's a yes um but then later sam's like you know she's kind of like hesitatingly telling jack uh lift up your shirt so i can see your your abs of course we know what she's looking for and I and, right. and she's like amazing, crunches. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was my yeah, favorite. That was, yeah, that was a good one. Yep. Um, but you know, as we learned that she is the mother of all pharaohs. Again, what exactly does that mean? I mean, we get the idea. I tell you what that means. Go ahead. It means someone's getting lucky, is what that. Well, means. well, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we, we we get by the end of the episode how this actually works and and you know we see the scene in the whirlpool bath and fred mentions that in his feedback and yes fred that is a common sight in locker rooms i mean maybe not so much now but i mean we had training rooms training well still no they still they still use those okay even more now because uh they have to have those ready for um with ice filled in case over the summer oh okay Okay. That's where they they messed up with the the poor kid from Maryland who died. Oh, you're right. Um, That's right. From the, the heat. first thing they should have done is taken him into the training room and dumped him in that that big uh, ice bath. Right. So so what'd you think of the misting as a uh, technique? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, it was like let me kiss your hand. It's like you know, Hammond at first even says. No way, rightly so. Like, you know, like, again, we don't know what this, you know, what, what her deal is, right? So um, you're not just going to give her your hand and stuff. I mean, they've seen enough freaky stuff to know, you know, what kind of crap can happen. You know, like, like you started off with, why, why does she have such access to them? Why isn't she locked up in a sealed room or something like that, you know? Especially when they learn that she's gold. Right. I mean, it it appears that she missed Daniel right away. So we understand why he becomes influenced by her. Sure. But, but he has But we don't really very, see the general at the beginning get misted by her. He, I don't recall him being that close to her and yet right away uh, when Daniel's like, oh, we can't we get the cuffs off her? Can't you know we get make her more comfortable? And General Hammond's like, yeah, you know, right away. And, and I love the fact that Carter's like, 
the hell are you guys doing? Well, you see Sam pretty early on <clears throat> sees that something uh, weird is, is happening here. Uh, actually, what happened with Hammond is, is they're, they're in like that room, and she says, let me kiss your hand. He's like, no way. And then Daniel says, well, you know, it'll really help me. Because at first they think she's just someone who's deluded or something, right? And so Daniel's just like, well, it'll really help me kind of figure out what's going on with her if you play along with her delusion. So then Hammond does it. When really he should have said, I don't care. <laughs> no, not going to. Not gonna give her my hand. I, I, we're also seeing things from a 2020 perspective, where of course, you know, we wouldn't touch another stranger well, for all the tea I, in China, right? Yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying, but I think even pre-pandemic, you know, Hammond would take the tack that I'm not kissing your hand. I'm a two-star general or whatever he is, and. You're not necessarily my prisoner, but you're not going to get free reign. And, and at this point, Jack is not under her influence either. And that's when he gets that line, is mental illness contagious? <laughs> Can't we find a nice rubber room for her at the county somewhere? And, and of course, that's the right approach to, to take. And, you know, the other thing, and, and I think we've seen this in Jack before, and Carter, I believe it's Carter that mentions Jack's special forces training to be able to resist this sort of uh, situation. And I think Jack maybe fights it a little more than the others. Uh, I'm sure Hammond probably had the training at some point, but that was so many years ago. It's probably uh, ineffective at this point. But, you know, eventually Jack comes under her control as well. And you know, you know, we get the attempt on her end to mist Teal'c, and I, I think we all know that even from a narrative perspective, it's going to be a good idea to have Teal'c unaffected, which, of course, he is. And well, at first I thought that he might, just because that would be a chance, A, for a little maybe some comic relief to see Teal'c swooning over some lady and and also for it to be just you know sam doing it on her own you know well, sure. having to save the day without help from the rest of the team at all right and and you know i, I was a little torn about that aspect of it and i guess i feel as if teal does defer to her as he should she's the military you know, leader at, at, at this point. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's certainly not a damsel in distress scenario. The right. women would be fine without Teal'c. You know, I, I think they would have been able to execute their plan and carry it out without Teal'c. But why? I mean, he's there and he wants right. to help. So, right, right. You know. Well, and ultimately, they have to, you know, free him first before he can help, right? Like, they have to use their their feminine wiles to get out of prison. Oh, my God. And that is such a great scene. And Sam even mentions the, uh, you know, the stereotypical B women's prison movie. And, again, just, just classic. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, 
the one thing I note about Frazier in this whole sequence, I mean, number one, that's her idea, and, and it's a good idea, and she almost seems to enjoy it a little bit. And I only mean she enjoys it because she's, she knows how it's going to end up with the men in handcuffs locked in a room somewhere and, and right. them going about but, their business. But, but Sam's just so uncomfortable with it from the start. Yeah, well, well, Sam, when you know the guy who thinks he's going to get with her, she just punches him. But you know, Doctor Fraser actually starts making out. So, yeah, no, there's there's a there's a little bit of a. <clears throat> I think Doctor Fraser on when Friday Friday night she gets out there, man. Well, we get it a little like bit. She's <laughs> right. We get a little bit of store uh, her backstory. I don't know if she says her ex husband or. She's talking about her husband, really talking about her career in the military in in you know negative terms, as if you know that that she's almost just window dressing for the men there. Which, uh, if it is her ex husband, that's probably one of the reasons why. But the other thing I noticed is that during you know the the little op you know as she's carrying a weapon she doesn't really look all that comfortable holding the weapon and and it's really a subtle thing and maybe i'm reading it in and it's not really there you watch carter and carter's entirely comfortable i mean she looks like she's done this a hundred times which she probably has dr frazier just the way she's holding the gun the way she's moving through not like she's afraid just like she's just not used to doing it and she's not real comfortable yet. Right. Well, and she says that, you know, straight out, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, I really like that part where they, you know, they talk about their frustration with trying to build a career in the military, but being females, how they're always overlooked. And, you know, and then obviously the, that, that conversation becomes more poignant when it turns out that they're the ones who have to save the day. They're the ones who have to go in and rescue all the dudes who have allowed themselves to fall under the influence of this uh, alien force. Yeah. And it's funny because at first I'm thinking like, well, why do you only have women on your little strike force? And I'm like, Oh, well, of course all the men are under Hathor's influence. That duh. Um, So, yeah, yeah, of course. Sam even mentions her frustration at, at not being able to figure out how to be one of the guys. And we know what she means. She just means, you know, going out for a beer and being one of the, you know, guys for, for uh, lack of a better term. I mean, when I was coaching girls all those years, I know how many times I said, well, listen, you guys, you need to. And if they were, you know, particularly feisty one day, they said, we're not guys. But, you right. know, they, they knew what I meant. Yeah. And, and maybe that right. was lazy speech on my part. I, sh- I should have been more precise. And that's probably true. But we know what Sam means. It's not that she's not respected. It, it, it's almost that at this point, from her perspective, if they're going out together outside of the workplace... Well, she's an attractive female. 
and O'Neill's an attractive male, and, and Jackson's an attractive male, and Teal's got this big metal thing on his forehead. And um, so you get where she's coming from and the frustration that, that she feels. And again, as we've said, it's so great that she's got Frazier to talk to about it. And in this episode, as you said, you know, they, they start to verbalize you know, some of this. And, you know, I, I really do hope they explore it further as the series goes on. Yeah, we finally, <clears throat> we get a scene. Uh, we we get a scene. I'm not sure if it would want her pass the Bechtel test, but it, it it checked off at least two of the three boxes, you know, whereas two women in the scene uh, talking to each other. Um, and But the third part is not talking about men. And they kind of aren't. They really are kind of talking about their own feelings and everything. But it is still in relationship to their place in, in the world of men. You, you know, it's. I, I think part of it is just they just, you know, just feel, like you said, I don't, I don't even know if it's just going out, but just even professionally, they don't feel like they're 100% accepted, right? They just always feel like that because they're a female, that they're viewed differently than their you know colleagues view other male colleagues now do you mean teal'c and jackson and general hammond or maybe just the peripheral soldiers that well well yeah you're right yeah like the, i think they're they're talking about the the people that they are colleagues with the people that they interact with on a daily basis and we've seen and we've talked about this a number of times so far in just only 13 episodes there's been a, a number of times where you know the the team has acted in a kind of semi misogynistic way you know and and she's just has to go along with it you know and we said at the time that she's probably not okay with it but still feels like it you know she just has to kind of play along uh and which is unfortunately the what many women have to do in 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 the workplace that they have to you know and, and I guess we could expand that to say any uh, any other group other than the white males that is, you know, in one way or another has to kind of play along with the old boy system in order to, you know, get along, get ahead, whatever. And I guess the interesting thing in Stargate SG-1 is that even though we're 14 episodes in, we're, we're just a little bit, is it, is this episode 14? No, I forgot already. 13, yeah, 13. So we're just, a you know, we're, we're starting the second half of the first season. Uh, how many times has Carter's brain gotten them out of a scrape? And I mean, certainly she holds her own physically in the field with a gun, without a gun doing whatever, but her intellect is something that that we don't really see from O'Neill. I mean, he he did suggest they use the kite and the Ben Franklin method back in uh, yeah. you know that episode. Right. Yeah, but for the most part, it's Carter that gets them out of the scrapes, and you know it, it's it's something that I think it's easy to miss, and and I think maybe even the team misses it, but she's still battling that smart girl thing that uh you know there's a certain level of prejudice against smart girls and and i mean again it, it's nowhere near what it was when i was in school or maybe even to a little uh, a certain extent when you were in school but 
I, you know, I don't think it's it's such a thing anymore. Um, maybe it is. Maybe I'm just blind to it. But you know, well, I, I think we're just more aware of it nowadays. Not everyone, obviously, but I think in general, and I think you know, we are making progress to you know become feeling more equitable and having more open and accepting uh, places of, you know, in, in, uh, not in work and in public and, and everywhere. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, has come, you know, way, and I, I often talk about this with my students, you know, I'm like, I know, you know, it's not perfect, but man, it's, you know, so much better than it was when I was in high school, you know, when we didn't even talk about these things. And if you were not, if you're part of any kind of, group outside of the norm then you know you had you know you just had to suffer right well the last thing i want to bring up about the episode you know we get to the scene at the end when you know jack has gone into the gold chamber and and uh you know as teal says i've seen the gold chamber do many miracles and and okay and that was a great way to to bring jack back I'm not exactly sure. Does Hathor destroy it on purpose so that it can't be used again, or did it get destroyed bringing Jack back? I don't know if that's ever clear. Um, I think. Or does it get blown up in the firefight? You know, because the soldiers come in, they start shooting at each other. Uh, Frazier gets shot. I think Teal'c might get shot in the leg as well, although, you know, he probably just heals up in a matter of hours because of his uh, gold immune system. But but certainly Frazier gets wounded, and we see her later, you know, in a sling. So, you know, obviously she's going to be okay. But whatever, somehow it blows up. Yeah, I can't remember how. I, I don't know why I missed that detail. Okay, and then, of course, the plan is to trank the soldiers. All of a sudden, you see Sam firing off a bunch of rounds into Hathor, who, who's in the Whirlpool bath. I don't know about you. I, I guess I almost looked at it like there, there was this anger that was coming out of Sam because of what this wim- woman did to her men and i just mean her men in in that the men that are part like her, of her team right right her team you know my community and, and it's like how dare you and well you know what i'm thinking is that earlier she had a machine gun in her hands and she had a perfect chance to you know shoot hawther then and she didn't and then, you know, so now, yeah, I mean, I agree with you that the, the anger was there for sure. I just didn't understand why she didn't shoot Hathor earlier when, you know, right before Hathor made the incision in, in Jack's belly. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, we get the unauthorized gate activation and, you know, we see her actually escape from the tub. And I missed it the first time, as Fred points out in his feedback, as did he. But then they realize they've got to go after her, but not now. All right, fine. You, you know, you, you, need to, you need to make a plan. And then I'm thinking like, all right, wait a minute. How does she know how to use the computer to activate the gate? I mean, we know she probably knows the seven symbol code. Right. But 
Uh, maybe she had manual override. Okay, I don't know. I guess. I <laughs> guess. Um, There's just some things we don't have to ask. She gets away, and we assume we're going to see her again sometime. Yeah, and, and right. So so we are going to see her again. I mean, you know, she is going to be in, in future episodes. Don't know how many or anything like that. And then we get the great scene when, when Carter's like um, – She's just waiting for Hammond to say something about her knocking him out. And, of course, he does, but it's rep- recommending her and Frazier for medals. <laughs> and it's almost like she doesn't even hear that. She's still so fixated on the fact right. that her military career is over. Well, but, she's expecting the the consequences, right? right exactly. Uh, basically, the consequences oh, the of being word. a strong woman. Here's here's what you get. And, and she actually gets recognition, which... We haven't really seen her get. Yeah, I, I'm not, I shouldn't say we haven't at all because it probably has been some point so far in this season where she's been recognized for something that she's done, but uh, certainly not in this official capacity like this. Yeah. So in the end, the women saved the day against the sex goddess. Well, someone had to. Someone had to. So all right, anything else you want to bring up? We haven't talked about. Well, it was a little weird. That when Sam shoots Hawthorne, that water turns on fire? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. There's a level of layer of oil on top or something like that. I don't know. But the uh, that outfit that Hathor has going on, uh, I would say uh, from Return to the Jedi-esque, maybe we could say. I okay. Sure. Sure. I mean... It's- 2,000 years old, it held up pretty well in that sarcophagus. I, yeah. I will say that. Um, <laughs> when uh, Teal'c goes into Hathor's bedroom and Daniel is in there just kind of looking out of it, Teal'c, as he's leaving, just kind of looks back. I know he his, his face, I notice here, tends to rest in a look of unhappiness you know like his mouth is always turned down like just as his you know as his regular face uh but i you know i would say he looked back at daniel with a level of disgust uh as he left that room all right anything else no i think that uh might be it okay all right well let's hear what fred's got for us and we'll be right back Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Stargate SG-1, Season 1, Episode 13. First off, I'm going to promise not to talk about LEGO, but what I am going to talk about is about Sue Ann Brown, who plays Hathor in this episode. Looking her up, I stumbled over a series of COVID YouTube TV shows she did. And actually she did 24 as far as I could see between somewhere April and October. And she interviewed all kinds of Stargate SG-1 actors. And the last episode she did, she interviewed herself. And because that was not possible, she asked Amanda Tapping, aka Sam Carter, to interview her. And you can find this channel just typing in in YouTube, Heather Hosts TV. A very small spoiler coming up now, although I never saw SG-1, but I looked at IMDb and saw that she will return somewhere late in the later seasons. 
So I watched this interview for at least the first half hour and there were no spoilers in it so far. It was mainly about her life and what she did in acting and in film, etc., etc. So perhaps there are spoilers beyond the first half hour. It takes in total one hour, 45 minutes that she's talking to Amanda Tapping. And I really advise you to at least... Start watching and have an idea how this interview goes. And if you like it, you can follow it as far as you like. And if you stumble over spoilers, you can stop watching. And it was a very nice thing for her to do this in this COVID time. Very nice idea. And probably especially for the real big Stargate SG-1 fans that already seen the whole series. Did you know about this YouTube series of interviews, Dave and Wayne? And of course, as usual, I put some links on the Facebook page. Okay, about the episode, episode 13. I want to call this the episode of the close-ups. And very close-up. Even Hathor and General Hammond. What I learned about giving feedback is always tell the positive things first and then the things that can be improved as second but now I will turn it around and just get the nitpicks out of the way because I really like this episode I think it's still although the nitpicks an A or an A minus worth I do not often grade because I still have a little problems with the American grading system to estimate what something should be but the more and more I listen to you, I get a better impression about that. So, I think an A-. minus. Okay, what are these nitpicks? The first is, but that just could be magic, this strange bathtub in the middle of a man's washroom slash locker room. The second thing is the burning of the sarcophagus. Just so quickly after an explosion, I found it not enough of smoke and flames. It looked more or less like it would look a few hours later, and not immediately. Talking about immediately, after Jack O'Neill came to his senses, I have to say Sam recognized that very quickly and immediately gave him a gun. One other nice effect, actually a nitpick, but on the other hand it was on purpose, when Hathor leaves this bath, she comes out of it dry. Whereas later, when Jack gets out the bath, she, he gets out f- full dripping. Okay, that were the nitpicks. They are out of the way. I really love this episode. It was well played, especially by the Sue and Brown, who I didn't know, actually. I posted a tweet. Fortunately, I still can do that. On, uh, on Twitter... That I'm watching this episode and I had a screenshot of a very close up of Daniel and Hatter's mouth where you see these pheromones flow over. And actually Sue Ann Brown reacted to that tweet and said woohoo. And I thought that this episode was a little more women friendly already as compared to the first episode. Especially these different statements Sam Carter makes towards the doctor. And the fact they got recognition by General Hammond at the end. I don't know if it's true, but what I even saw is that these women were not, well, let's say against seducing these soldiers, because they were quite young and okay looking. But it was more that this kind of weapon, so the female seduction, that they had to use that. 
in the sense of we know this works, but we don't actually want it to work or it shouldn't work. On the other hand, it also makes men weak in the sense of you just do a little trick and, well, they are just the monkeys that do their trick if you push the right buttons. And a little detail, and it's something I only saw when I watched it the second time, is that after this bath at the end burns, you can see Hedor sneak out very quickly. But you really have to pay attention to see it. And I already have spoiled that she will be back at some time, and this makes it, of course, possible. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Hi, well, we talked about a few of the things fred mentioned you know, the whirlpool in the locker room as we said that's a common sight uh and geez they had those even back when i was in high school and and but uh fred also mentions the actress that plays hathor responding to his tweet about the episode and, and her interview uh youtube videos and it, it's always cool when somebody associated with the show that you're talking about on the podcast responds to your tweet so yeah that was definitely cool um and and then like i I said i missed hathor sneaking out during my first watch and i thought oh wait a minute did she just and i backed it up and watched it again so uh anyway good stuff and uh fred you can keep talking about legos dude that's okay you know i'm sure wayne's got some lego stuff he hasn't gotten a chance to talk about yet but (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm an adult, so I'm, I don't. But right, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that might, maybe uh, that'll be my next uh, podcast. Will okay. be a Lego podcast. Okay, that. So I'm sure there's already tons of those. Or but. we could have a football slash Lego podcast. We should have a football Lego sci-fi rewatch podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It'd be cool. All right, Fred, thank you so much. I guess we'll go ahead and leave it there. That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thanks for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Stargate SG-1. Let us know through an email. Record your own audio clip the way Fred does and send it to us as an attachment. Get in the Facebook group if you haven't already. Emails are sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to discuss episode 14 of Stargate SG-1 titled singularity but until then yeah it's funny David just you mentioned Podbean earlier and they actually just sent me an email I don't know what to make of this here's what it says it is time that you become our chosen one 